0: You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 28 through 34, I want to preach to you a message I've entitled God's rod. God's rod. According to United States law, whoever knowingly mutilates, defaces, physically defiles, burns, maintains on the floor or ground, or tramples upon any flag of the United States shall be fond or in prison for not more than one year, or both. To deface our flag is to incur a penalty. Today we gather to render honor to whom honor is due. We have laid out before us the emblems, the flag so to speak, of our Savior, our banner, the root of Jesse, the everlasting Davidic King, the Lord God, Jesus Christ. And I do now most solemnly warn you as a pastor of Jesus's flock, his church, that while all of us are welcome to partake of the bread and the cup, you are liable to take them in an unworthy manner and so trample on the emblems and incur a penalty. You may not rush haphazardly or unadvisedly to this table. You must come with conscious, cautious contemplation. What does it mean to take communion in an unworthy manner? And even more so, what is the penalty for taking communion in an unworthy manner? The Corinthian church in today's text had abused communion communion transpired in a setting known as a love feast it is akin to our fellowship meal something like what we do on Wednesday nights each person brings food to share and here's what was happening in the Corinthian church the free and rich came early to the meal with their delicacies the slaves and poor came late with very little. And by the time the slaves and the poor arrived, the rich had already finished feasting, and the poor sat and starved. And it was sometime during this meal or after this meal, communion was to transpire or to take place. Do you see how this love feast, what they were doing in the love feast, was undermining what communion meant? That Jesus came not just to save each of us as individuals, but Jesus came to save each one of us as members of his body, the church. Communion is not just about your individual communion with God. It is about your communion with the saints that sit here with you today. So the love feast that was meant to endear the saints to one another became a scene of obnoxious gluttony, carnal unkindness and sinful neglect of poor brothers and sisters. Due to relationships within the church, it was causing the people of the Corinthian church to take communion in an unworthy manner. Because of the Corinthian church's abuse of communion, God visited His flock with a rod, with a rod. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 29 through 32. And he is speaking to the Corinthian church, but this applies to us as Mount Carmel Baptist Church, all gathered here today. And this is written to you, For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body. Now pause real quick right there. It's interesting, if you were to read 1 Corinthians 11... The times which he mentions Jesus' body, he refers to it as Jesus' body and blood. Many scholars and commentators think when it says recognizing the body, it's not a reference to Jesus' physical body, but his spiritual body, which is who? You, the church. So we notice this. He says, whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body. He's talking about each other. The people gathered in this room eats and drinks judgment, God's judgment, on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among y'all, and many have fallen asleep. That's a Christian way of saying, put to death, they've died. If we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged, that's by God. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. Please notice the, the way this is working. All right? If we fail to judge ourselves and take communion in an unworthy manner, we come under the judgment of God. And if you're a believer, you cannot come under condemnation, that is left for the lost unbelieving world but please notice what you can come under here you can come under God's discipline the very first thing I want you to write down your notes is God's rod of discipline God's rod of discipline can be brought to us and in the manifestation of discipline on the Corinthian church it showed up as what within the church when God disciplined the church was it saying the text many were what sick and Died, dead. Because of the Corinthian church's abuse of communion, God struck many of the church members with sickness and even death. Now, here's another part I find fascinating if you think about the whole context of 1 Corinthians. The next chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul goes on to explain these supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit that were manifesting themselves in the church. And one of those gifts were gifts of healings. Interesting, here in the church, they're being disciplined by God for abuse of communion. Many are among them sick. And notice what else we can infer from chapter 12. These supernatural sign gifts weren't even operating while this was happening. You had a sick person and say there was a healer present in the church and the healer couldn't do what? Heal them. They were sick. Communion is one of the richest blessings that you'll be able to take part of this side of heaven. Yet with this privilege comes accountability. I must prevent you from partaking of the bread and the cup in an unworthy manner. By eating and drinking in an unworthy manner, you will bring down God's rod upon yourself. Is there a remedy? Is there a solution? Is there an antidote to where we can come to the table? Please understand, I'm not saying we're coming to the table perfect. At admission a part of you coming to the table is the sil- is a silent witness that you're not perfect that you are a sinner but you can come in a way in which offends god and tramples on the emblems of jesus our savior so is there a way to come in a worthy manner let's look at verse 28 we found the solution how can we fix this what can you do Right now, to ensure you don't bring God's discipline upon yourself when you abuse communion. Verse 28. Here's what we do. Let a person. He drops out the plurals. He's going to talk to an individual. Let each person examine himself. In this way, in examining himself, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. Number two, write it down. We have God's rod of measurement. Measurement. We're going to measure ourselves. Measure ourselves. Now, I'm not saying, okay, please understand, I'm not saying whether you're perfect or not. Okay? None of us are perfect. All of us are sinners. We all need, by faith in Jesus, salvation to cleanse us from sin. We're trying to measure what is our relationship to the Savior. Okay? Big difference. Now, I want you to notice this. Ah, as your pastor here today, cannot judge, measure, or examine what's in your heart or what's not in your heart. But with God's help, because it's commanded here in Scripture, I believe you as an individual can. Before you partake of the bread and cup, you, as an individual, must examine yourself. If I or a deacon or a Sunday school teacher tells you, you know what, go ahead and just take it. We have no right to do that. We welcome all to the table, yet I will not take responsibility, nor any deacon or any other spiritual leader, will take responsibility for answering for your spiritual fitness when it comes to this. This is your job. I lay it at your feet. And here's why. You can deceive me. You can deceive the rest of us. But may I remind you, you cannot deceive God. And it is His rod that will fall on your behalf. So I need you to get real and get honest with him. I beg you, don't delude yourself. Don't deceive yourself. You cannot deceive God. I fear there are many here today who have not examined themselves. So what I want to do with the remainder of my brief time with you is to begin at once examining you with four soul-searching questions but before I do, I actually want to do this right here in the middle of our sermon. I want us to pause for a moment of silent, personal prayer. And here's what I would like you to pray. Write this down. Write this hymn. Pray this. Holy Spirit, help me examine myself for communion. Holy Spirit, help me examine myself For communion. And after you write that down, would you just simply bow your head and pray that prayer. And after everyone's heads are lifted back up, I'll go through the the four questions. first three questions are implied in the text because you're dealing with a Christian church. The soul-searching question A is this. Write this down in your notes. Why will you take communion? Why? Ask yourself that question. Why am I going to take communion today? If you partake of the bread and the cup, Because I am administering them to you this day. Because your parents say, take this. Because you were brought up in church. Because you have always taken them. Because you belong to this church, and that's what we're doing today. Or because you think if you take them, you will receive forgiveness of your sin, salvation of your soul, and eternal life in heaven with Christ then you are mistaken or deceived. None of those are the right reasons to partake of communion. But here's what I do believe, and I scripturally is the right reason. If you profess to be a believer and disciple of Jesus Christ, that's criteria number one. Do you claim Jesus as your Savior and God? Then it is your delightful duty to observe communion you are commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ himself to partake of the bread and cup and church you might remember for the purpose of what remembering him and to proclaim him till he comes so I want to ask you is that your reason for why you'll partake of the bread and the cup will you enjoy communion To please Jesus. Soul searching question B. B. Write it down. Have you repented of your sins. Repented of your sins. And trusted in Jesus alone as your savior. And trusted in Jesus alone as your savior. Repentance. I think it's a funny word. And what I mean it's just a word we don't use a lot In our common vernacular. But repentance includes several ideas in the Bible. It includes godly sorrow, godly regret for our sin, confession of our sin to God. We call sin what it is, we tell God. We say the same thing about our sin that God says about our sin. And it's also with this we forsake and leave the sins behind, all right? Some of you have met a person, or you may even be that person, that they'll apologize, right? But they have no intent of changing how they live or conduct their lives. So an apology without change isn't repentance. all right? To say I regret it, to say it was even wrong to do it, but to not actually try to go and sin no more falls short of biblical repentance. Yet, what I want you to notice is even with perfect repentance even if you mourned your sin till you have no more tears if you confess throughout eternity you were a sinner and you forsook every sin you could possibly forsake that is not enough to save you all right because there's two things there's two sides of the coin it's repentance and what what did I say trust in Jesus Repentance is just a part of our response to Jesus' death for our sins. He died for the forgiveness of our sins. And with the help of the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, we put our sins to death. We trust in Jesus' death alone to secure our salvation and to forgive us of our sin. If you have no faith in Jesus Christ, don't even touch that plate to pass it. It is for those who trust in Christ alone. The bread and cup are of no use and have no meaning to you. In fact, to partake of it while you're an unbeliever is to only increase your sin and your guilt before the spotless Lamb of God, the infinitely holy and perfect Jesus. Let me ask you, Are you persuaded in your heart that your hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and His righteousness? Is that your stance? Is that the stake you'll make? Not a child dedication, not church attendance, not baptism, not any other good work. If you are not persuaded that you are a true believer in Jesus Christ, you will take communion in an unworthy manner. And I'll tell you, if you pass the plate and do not partake because of honest examination, you say, Josh, I'm not really a believer. I rejoice over your honesty, but then I, I implore you, then come to Jesus. Make it right. Be saved today. Repent of your sins and trust Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins and the eternal salvation of your soul, and then eat with us. (laughs) Soul-searching question C. Soul-searching question C. What do you feel about your sin and Jesus? What do you feel about your sin and Jesus? Hey, church. We can eat some bread and drink some juice anytime. We can get together at my house. My wife's probably not prepared for all that bread and juice, but we can go do it. What makes this time so special? What makes these elements so special right here? It's what's around them, it's the context. Unless our hearts, this is something on the inside, something I can't examine you have to tell me, are occupied with a devout contemplation of the presence of God. Unless our hearts are filled with our own nothingness before Him, unless our hearts are humbled by the great distance that Jesus spanned, unless our hearts are in awe of the glorious sacrifice of Jesus, it's just some bread crust and grape juice that's what this is what are you bringing to the table what are you remembering who are we proclaiming that's the context that makes this meal special and unique and blessed and beneficial tacit in communion is mine in your sin and guilt our contribution to salvation and forgiveness is this rebellious souls and shameful sin That's what you and I have to offer Jesus. Our sins, your sin and my sin could only be taken away, washed away, erased from the mind of God to be remembered by God no more because another vision transfixed God's gaze. His own son bleeding and dying on a cross. Bearing your sin and my sin in his body. And that vision ever beheld before God's eyes erases our sin from God's mind. That's why our hearts must be transfixed on our sin and then Jesus' great salvation for it. We're not doing God a favor by remembering Jesus through communion. He's infinitely blessed. The blessing is unto us. The benefit is unto us. Never forget who we once were and never forget who you are now in Jesus Christ. Soul searching question D. Have you sinned against another Christian? Have you sinned against another Christian? And you may need to put this in parentheses, but I don't want you to focus on it primarily. I want you to focus on this part secondarily. Has another Christian sinned against you? I want you to first think, have you sinned against another Christian? And then, has another Christian sinned against you? Let our minds return to the uncharitableness and unkindness of the Corinthian church. Are our sins, your sin and my sin, Mount Carmel's sin, is our sin worse than their sin? Are you injuring a saint by sinful anger? Talking against him or her behind his or her back? I hate to puff you up, I'm just trying to provoke you to good deeds. I'm going to be that holy irritant. But some of us are so bitter that our bitterness alone would bring down God's judgment and rod on this church. We've harbored it for so long. How long will you continue to receive the bread and the cup sinning against another Christian or this or refusing to forgive another Christian who has sinned against you if you must persist I need you to know it if you say I've got to keep my anger I've got to keep my backbiting, I've got to keep my gossiping I've got to keep my bitterness I've got to keep my unforgiveness then you leave that cup and bread alone and if you want to enjoy that cup and bread and I've shared this with the church and some of you are new sitting in here today, it will not be as much about you coming down the aisle to pray as it will be coming across the aisle to either offer forgiveness or receive forgiveness. May I remind you of what the Lord taught us to pray. Forgive us our debts. How? As we forgive our debtors. You see the proportionate there, the ratio? God has forgiven us of an immense debt we can never repay, and yet some of us are still holding the debts of others against them. And God's saying here, maybe I'll just return it in con. If you're going to continue to hold people's sins against them, and I've forgiven such a great debt, maybe I should hold your sin against you. And ladies and gentlemen, I know this is easier to preach, trust me. It is hard sometimes to just let it go. I will not require the debt of that person. I saw this the other day on social media, and usually I don't get too inspired by the sappy stuff, but this was good. He says, I pray you heal from the things no one ever apologized for. I pray you heal from the things no one ever apologized for. And that's going to be a hard thing. I deal with this pretty much at every communion because you know my stance that communion is just about, it's just as much about our community as it is about our personal relationship with the Lord. There are some of you in preparation of communion have went and sought brothers and sisters, Christians, and asked for their forgiveness and they refused. You say, where do I stand? I want you to know this. That's on them. Reconciliation takes two parties. Forgiveness only takes one. You understand that? That Jesus has already fully offered forgiveness in Christ, but none of us are reconciled to what? You accept it. And there's going to be individuals that you've extended forgiveness to, and what do they do? I don't want that. I would rather... Have my bitterness and anger towards you, then you've done your part and you're absolved of that. But what I can't let you do is if you continue to harbor up bitterness or unforgiveness, I need you to know with general respect, you will drink down and eat up God's rod of discipline upon you. Is there any comfort in their pa- in this passage? There he is. Look at the very last. Paragraph here, verses 33 through 34. Therefore, that's a good good therefore. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, welcome one another. Notice how simple, you know how Paul fixes it? He says this, wait on each other and love on one another, right? Welcome them. Because you can't welcome somebody if you're stuffing your face full. (laughs) He's like, stop, stop, and go welcome one another. And then look at the next verse. If anyone is hungry, you're starving, you can't wait. I've been there. He should eat at home so that when you gather together, you will not come under judgment. He's like, bro, go get you a snack. And he says, I'll give instructions about the other matters whenever I come. The poor Corinthian church was a mess. He's like, that's all I got time for. But here's the part that I want you to see. Write it down. Three, God's rod of comfort. Comfort. There's comfort in this passage. Notice what could happen. The church could mend their ways and not come under God's discipline. Hey, church, rejoice. Isn't that good? that you could do something right now about your situation and enjoy communion. You could change. We can come to the table for the right reason. You've heard the wrong reasons, but you can come today for the right reason. You can repent of your sin right now and trust Jesus alone for salvation right now. Right now, you can contemplate and humble yourself before the awful, inky blackness of your sin, the coursing red blood pouring from Jesus' veins, and the hot white robes of righteousness He will freely give you. You can think about that right now. You can look around to your spiritual family, your neighbors, the ones sitting beside you, and you can forgive them. And you can love them just as Jesus has forgiven and loves you. There is a rod of discipline. There is a rod of measure. But there also is a rod of comfort that's given here in this text. May our great shepherd's staff draw his flock together to himself at his table. And may we sup with him. Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.